This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pirno. The strategy inside everything is the podcast for people who think for a living. If this conversation gives you an idea, leads to a question, or makes you want to push back on something you hear, go to thatsnotaninsight.com, where you can leave a message or send me a voicemail. The best and most interesting will be added to the future episodes, and I can't wait to hear from you. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. This is a 100% Arizona-based episode for a change. Uh, we've been globetrotting a little bit, but we are extremely local. Um, today's guest is my first guest from my workplace here at Arizona State University. I would like you all to meet the Executive Director of Third Horizon Initiatives, Timothy Summers, PhD. Timothy, how you doing? Doing great, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Timothy, uh, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago, and uh, on this very topic of of Web three, we got both pulled into a kind of a thorny series of questions. And I said, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta pick his brain. I need to know more about uh, his expertise and all that he knows." Thank you for making time for me. Absolutely, I got just super excited to be here. And look, I like talking about this stuff. But we just had some really great conversations, and I was just really excited to be here. I'm actually a little afraid that this conversation won't live up to some of the conversations we were able to just have just trading ideas. So you keep me honest and tell me if I'm not doing a good job and, and push it to where it needs to go. Okay. Absolutely. Hey, <laughs> it's a team effort. <laughs> Absolutely. So Timothy, would you give the uh, listeners a sense of your career and, and you may need to explain uh, third horizon initiatives if, as we were just joking around about here. Sure. Sure. You know, I'll, uh, I'll start, you know, with the old and work to the new. Um, I, you know, started my uh, my career and experience, uh, uh, you know, really uh, coding early on. I started coding really early, um, and then uh, started hacking shortly thereafter. And when I used to say hacking, I mean in the sense of just really being inquisitive about how systems worked, how to uh, understand uh, how the code worked. Uh, how the plumbing worked, um, understanding how those things were being exploited by bad guys, um, you know, uh, and, you know, I just was always really keen to wanting to understand how to protect my family members and others, you know, the people who weren't incredibly tech savvy, really sort of sparked my interest in cybersecurity. And um, I decided to kind of go in that direction, I went to school for computer science and business. I went to, for undergrad, I went to a small historically black college in North Carolina, Elizabeth City State University, um, a wonderful university. Uh, but that's where I, I did my computer science and business studies. Then when I got a full ride to Carnegie Mellon University and went to school there, which was wonderful. It was the only school I wanted to go to. I think it might have been the only school I applied to. My parents thought it was nuts. Um <laughs> but managed, managed to get in, man. And, and, you know, you know, but, but here's the thing, Adam, you know, I, uh, you know, I was just incredibly excited about being, you know, at uh, a place where robotics was taking place. You know, I, my first day on campus, I saw robots playing soccer with, with human kids. It kind of blew me away. And I said, yeah, I definitely should go to school at this place. <laughs> you were sold. Uh, I was sold. Uh, they had supercomputers on campus, you know, there's robots playing soccer. I was like, yeah, this place seems like it's the future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, you know, did uh, you know, did my uh, my graduate studies there. 
I decided to uh, work for a bit, uh, went into the government, uh, you know, took a position within the Department of Defense, you know, doing all kinds of really amazing work, designing autonomous systems and, you know, and, and, and designing, you know, futuristic you know, systems that didn't exist at the time, all kinds of, you know, unmanned, un- you know, aerial and autonomous and like really, really, really fun stuff. Um, and, and that's really where I got into, you know, kind of started getting into uh, Web3 and AI and, and, and that space. And cybersecurity was, you know, obviously a, a really important part uh, of my repertoire there as well. Uh, left that, and, uh, went on to become a government contractor for a bit and a consultant. Uh, did that for... Oh man, geez, I don't even, I don't want to put years on it and date myself, but I uh, <laughs> did that and then uh, went, pursued a PhD, went to Case Western Reserve for my PhD and um, uh, wanted to teach. Started teaching at the University of Maryland College Park, where I was the director of innovation, entrepreneurship, and community engagement, um, and also did some advisory for a number of other uh, colleges on campus, and including the journalism school and, and, and also the president's office as well. And my, my body of work was on hackers and how they think, you know, that's been my, uh, my, uh, my space. And, you know, fast forward, um, you know, I, I started a company, Summers and Company, you know, providing uh, consulting and AI, cybersecurity and, and uh, blockchain and Web3. And um, ASU, you know, was really uh, innovative and entrepreneurial university, you know, uh, reached out and said, hey, we're trying to do some really amazing things out here. Uh, would you consider it? And, uh, you know, everything else is, uh, <laughs> everything else has kind of fell into place. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> so it sounds like I just heard you say something that I had never thought of before, but you mentioned your, your love of hacking as kind of an expression of curiosity. That's what got you into moving from the idea of coding into hacking and like proactively figuring out how things work. And then you said, you connected pretty clearly hacking and web three. And I don't think, I don't think you mean hacking from a cybersecurity standpoint. I think you mean hacking from that same thing of let's figure out how this all connects. Is that right? You know, you know I, I would say uh, yes. And um, so, so yeah, you're spot on, right? So there's one piece of this where, you know, you really have to think about what is happening in web three you know, this uh, perspective of, um, you know, going from centralized to decentralized, this idea of, you know, uh, you know, not having all of the control in one centralized place, but, but rather seeing that control sort of, you know, disseminated out to the users in the sense that they can uh, be key to the deciding factors or decision-making in that ecosystem or in that environment, um, you know, it's uh, pretty consistent with uh, with many of the tenets and principles and values of the hacker the hacking community. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things also I would say as well is, you know, really the, the hacker's mindset, you know, is, is all about innovation. It's really about, you know, understanding, um, uh, you know, how systems work, asking questions to probe those systems, uh, to query them, to, to get to the to the precipice and asking what's what's beyond. Um, and I think Web3 is exactly that right now. I mean, we weren't calling it Web3 
you know, a few years ago, you know, so we're, we're heavily using the buzzword right now, but, but it is uh, quite different. Um, even designing businesses for a decentralized environment look totally different than they do in a centralized environment. And, uh, and, and, and that's uh, an important part of the future because we, we see just how Web3 is going to be. But even even conceptually, what a business is in a decentralized environment is a different. I mean, it's a total shift of the of the perspective of what business looks and feels like. There's not a there's not necessarily, I should say, that central exchange of a product or service to one person. It's this this all around the campfire movement of goods, services and uh, currency of any kind. Yeah, you know, so I would say that uh, it's a it's a mixture, right? You know, you you I think we're in a place right now where still, you know, we kind of do a little bit of the conversation around, um, you know, what we, we can only have centralized or decentralized. We can't have both, but we we can. It's really about selecting the right tool for the job, right? And I think a lot of times, you know, really the hardest question to ask uh, yourself is, you know, which one is the, the best tool for the job? Um, I would say that, you know, where we are right now is we're really sort of seeing a transformation, a, lot, a transformation of a lot of things on a lot of levels. Um, and not to dive too deep too quickly, but just to give one sense of an example, self-education is a massive uh, transformation happening right now. There's a massive uh, uh, interest and desire in individuals to be able to, uh, you know, learn in a just-in-time fashion. You know, if we look at people today, I mean, you can pretty much go online and learn just about anything, right? Like how, how a fusion reactor works. I mean, <laughs> maybe even how to build your own miniature version. I mean, you can do all of that stuff. So it's a really fascinating uh, point of time. But if you think about that, what is that doing? It's a decentralization. Of, uh, of, 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 for example, training, for example, instead of, um, you know, people going to one designated place, they're able to go to multiple designated places, which is a really interesting uh, sort of transformation that the world was taking. And, and the pandemic really uh, showed all of us that we needed to get there a lot sooner than we thought. Yeah, it was a, it obviously changed perspectives for a lot of people. You know, it's funny, as you mentioned, you know, that, that um, just in time learning, I remember going to the library and being able to check out books and be like, oh, I want to learn about this. Here's a book. You have access to such a deeper set of information now with, you know, finding a course on the master classes or, or Coursera or even ASU. It's like, you can go get the information you want and get it taught by a, the, in the method or the mode or the modality that you want that you learn the best in it's it's it is a huge shift and it's probably the tip of the iceberg of decentralization it's a it's an indic leading indicator for us i think of how much things could change absolutely and and really you know this decentralization piece is really important i mean it's a concept that's been around you know as long as Man, as long as people have been thinking about how to organize other human beings, decentralization has been a topic. And it's often used, right, in areas like government and strategy, hence us talking about it here. Um, you know, and, and, and it's heavily researched, right, especially in the United States. And there's been a yeah. lot of research on this. And, and really the core idea there being the transfer of control, um, you know, and authority 
right, throughout the users rather than having a single central entity that's in charge. And this model offers many advantages um, like increased productivity and faster decision making and better motivation. Um, for me, I really, you know, started leaning into these technologies. Um, one, I was inspired really from just the hacker community because there were just a lot of tenants that were pretty similar. Um, the ethical, specifically, uh, you know, in the ethical hacking uh, sort of lens, obviously. Um, I consider myself an ethical hacker, uh, which is a very important distinction, I think. But, um, you know, also recognizing that in order to make, for example, blockchain possible, there's a number of cybersecurity related technologies that are necessary, uh, such as understanding cryptography, such as understanding public key cryptography, right? Such as understanding uh, hashing algorithms um, and how hashing works, um, understanding digital signatures and, and a number of other uh, technological capabilities that make it all possible. So it, it really uh, did connect really well there also. And then lastly, I would say around, uh, you know, this concept of, of um, actually crisis management. Um, I was working with a, a really forward-thinking group in Europe back during uh, the Belgian and Paris terrorist attacks a few oh, years yeah. back. Right. And um, one of the things that we were talking about uh, and that came out of that work was, um, you know, the idea that during really chaotic times, um, it's, it's best to have small autonomous teams that can make decisions um, that can uh, function efficiently and productively uh, in a quick decision making fashion, uh, but is still in tune with the overarching vision and mission. Uh, that we have maybe, you know, whichever of that situation of the time, you know, the, the, the crisis du jour, whatever that is. But we found that that was much better uh, for uh, handling chaotic scenarios. So there was a, a number of things that sort of happened for me that brought me to this point of saying, wow, uh, this convergence of technologies is coming at the right time. Yeah. And you can't have, you can't have that central command and control in those dynamic situations. I've, I've been confused about the idea of blockchain as a symbol of decentralization because, and maybe you're the person to, to narrate this for me in a way that I understand. When I think of blockchain, it is like a binding central ledger. You know, there's not a person at the helm of it, but it is keeping a central record that everybody who enters that blockchain agrees to its authority. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and ethically, it's like, okay, once I engage, once I, once I put my record in there, I'm, you know, that's the law is this blockchain is everybody who's on that chain is agreeing to talk to me a little about how that, you know, that, that shift in the thinking of centrality and that it's not, it's not quite centralized, but there is a central component to the, to that community around a blockchain. Sure, sure. No, great questions here, Adam. I, I, and I, before launching into that, I also kind of want to give a little bit of context to around the centralization. The, you know, I, I'm not an advocate for, uh, I'm not advocating for getting rid of centralization, just saying, again, it's important to understand the right tool for the job. 
Um, for the for record, example. Timothy Timothy is not an anarchist. For the record, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, just, I just think that there's room for all of these schools that we we created. I mean, we've got you know centralization. There are models for where that may be useful. Um, you know, but but for example, it's possible to have a centralized or a decentralized blockchain. Um, you know, a, a blockchain is inherently distributed, meaning that multiple parties have copies of the data. But it's not inherently decentralized. Um, there are two types of blockchain for the most part. If you're permissionless, like a public blockchain, and you also have your permission, uh, like private blockchain. Um, it's also important to understand where blockchain fits into the context of Web3, right? Thank as you. Well. So, Web3, <laughs> so Web3 is considered uh, to be the future of the internet. Um, it's a vision of a blockchain-based internet uh, that includes cryptocurrencies, non-fungible tokens, smart contracts, decentralized autonomous organizations, decentralized finance, which you probably heard folks refer to as DeFi, and a load of other capabilities that come out of it. That's what Web3 is. Now, blockchain in the context of decentralization, getting to your your core question, um, again, a blockchain can be centralized or decentralized. In a permissionless public blockchain like Bitcoin, there's no central authority to manage the whole blockchain network. The data of the blockchain is not stored at any central location anywhere. Uh, you know, For public blockchains, any person can become part of the blockchain network. The control and authority of the network are distributed among participating nodes. A copy of the blockchain is spread across those nodes in the network. Um, and so whenever a new block is created, uh, that new block is added to the blockchain. Each node in the network has to update its blockchain copy uh, to reflect that change. And this implementation makes the public blockchain decentralized in the sense that all of the data, control, and authority in the network are distributed amongst the users of the blockchain. So it's not like it's all sitting at a server at Google. It is, it, everybody's contributing parts of it and have access to other parts of it to help. It's kind of like um, going back to my, my primitive internet mind, thinking about Napster and P2P sharing where people were each contributing parts of a file that I was trying to download. Um, so that to speed up the process and to keep it all from being pulled from one central place. Well, I would say, you know, another way, a better way of saying it might be is actually that each participant in the blockchain uh, has a, a copy of the blockchain uh, in the sense of uh, every, it, in the sense that there's consensus. That's, this is where consensus comes into play. All of the nodes essentially have to uh, come to consensus that they all see the same new block being added. Um, and so if there is no consensus, that means that someone's been trying to muck with the blockchain in a malicious way. Um, because theoretically, if we're all looking at the same blockchain, then we should all have the same copy. Yeah. And so that's where that's the security. That's one of the security aspects of the blockchain. Um, is that because we it's transparent, we all have and, and, and we're starting to get into a little bit of the advantages and disadvantages of the blockchain. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and give you a little bit of that. Right. Great. So, 
So, I mean, like, they're, okay, blockchains are not a panacea. They're not, you know, you should not opt for a blockchain in every solution. You know, like no, if you're trying it's to funny. You started right from the beginning by saying it's about knowing what you're, what the right tool is. And I guess I, di I didn't think of blockchain as a tool, but I immediately, when you made that face, I realized like, oh, blockchain is a tool and it's not always the right tool. Yes, it, there definitely is uh, an art and science to knowing when to pick the blockchain, right? Uh, if you're trying to build some, you know, really fast and efficient chat application, I, 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 yeah, the blockchain is not uh, best for that. <laughs> I want to use something that. Um, but there are things that blockchains are really great for. Um, but so, so here's some of the advantages, right? So, uh, some of the key things, and, and these aren't the only advantages I would say, but these are definitely the, the ones that some of the biggest ones and one that really I take away from uh, the tech. The first is really the establishment of a trustless environment because through using a decentralized blockchain, no one needs to know or trust anyone else in the network. As such, right, every node in the network holds the same copy of the blockchain data. So if someone tries to tamper with the data, then it'll be rejected by the majority of the nodes because it doesn't reflect what they all have. And so you got to think about this. You may have a network with millions of nodes. It would be incredibly taxing. Uh, to try to, you know, to try to uh, maliciously generate consensus across millions, billions, or however many nodes there might be in the network. Um, it, it would be incredibly daunting. Another piece uh, advantage to the blockchain is the transparency is built in. Decentralized blockchains are transparent, right? So as these blockchains, they're open to the public. You know, anyone with internet access can participate in the blockchain. And then also, you know, a copy of that ledger data, you know, being maintained by each participating node, mm -hmm. you know, again, you know, everyone, instead of it being kind of like the way we do business, centralized business today, you know, let's say you have company A and company B, and they're doing business together, essentially, they keep their own books internal. And, you know, we hope that we have the same data in our books. Whereas uh, if you're doing business together on the blockchain, you don't have to hope that it's the same data because we have the same data. And that's, that's inherent uh, to the process. We've that, that transparency. But that um, and you can use that in other ways, you know, uh, like we're using it. Part of the things you're working on is about uh, certifications and educational attainment on the blockchain. Yep. So the blockchain... You know, again, the blockchain being this transparent record or transparent ledger, it allows multiple parties that are, you know, have an interest to participate to be able to see the same transparent data, to be able to make the same kinds of, uh, uh, you know, effective decision making that they need. Um, another piece of this is users have full control. That's another really important part. Right. So with the centralization, the users of the blockchain have full control over the operations of that blockchain. And so since there's no central authority, all the data control and authority of the blockchain are in the hands of the user. So let's just use your example. You mentioned the work that we're doing around uh, uh, credentials and certifications. So we need to have, um, you know, those entities, those issuers of those certificates or credentials we need to have a way for them to be uh, uh, to participate in a ledger 
for them to all be able to see uh, what kinds of data they may need to share, right? If you've got multiple entities participating in a blockchain network, uh, you know, doing B2B transactions, uh, the beautiful thing about this ledger is it provides them a sense of ground truth, transparent ground truth that they can base, uh, build into their uh, business transactions. And then because each one of them have their own uh, copy of it, it, it just provides that much more transparency and control. But there's two more really important aspects of the blockchain that, that it would be remiss not to mention. One is that it's immutable, um, meaning in a decentralized blockchain, the data stored in a blockchain is almost impossible to modify. This is because essentially each modification needs to be verified by each node in the blockchain network. So you can add, you can append to a blockchain, you can add things to it, but you can't take things away. Right. Um, and, and that's a really important piece. And then the la- another last important piece of uh, is security by design. The decentralized blockchain is secure because it uses cryptography to protect the data. Additionally, the data in a current block, so when we add a new block, that uh, block requires data from the previous block to confirm uh, that it is a legitimate addition to the blockchain. So not only uh, does it have to be consensus uh, that, you know, hey, everyone agrees this block needs to be added to the blockchain, but there also needs to be proof, demonstrable cryptographic proof that this new block has the hash in uh, relation to the previous uh, preceding block. If, if, if you don't, uh, the blockchain falls apart. Got it. That's <laughs> listening to you talk about it with such ease is uh, scaring me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Open a good way. <laughs> no, no, it's it's very informative, but it's like that you have such uh, a clear understanding and a clear picture of it because for me it's so abstract. You know, I haven't I haven't spent the time in there, and and this is really helpful for me. Do well, you, Adam, here's something. Oh, blow your mind. I was supposed to be. Uh, you know, I had some ho- uh, work at home. I was planning to do some lights I need to hang up. And instead, I, I, I spent, I think it was Saturday, I spent Saturday building a decentralized autonomous organization. So, so, so yeah, I, I got on this <laughs> <a little> bit. <laughs> hanging, hanging lights, buddy. I can help you. All right. My brother's an electrician. What do you need? You need to put in some can lights? I'll be there. I got a dry yep. saw. I'll be there. You, you call me. I'll be there. No problem. You just help me figure out the blockchain. So yeah. I'm thinking, you know, you know, there you go. So we've been seeing, you know, NFTs have been the, the lead public facing product, you know, for consumers to understand. And NFT is really in the form of digital art. Um, I don't think that's the end game for Web3. I don't think that's where it's going to end. I don't think most people believe that. Um, yeah. I think the communities that have built around the most effective NFTs, like what Board Ape Yacht Club has built, that there's this, um, the benefits around it and the yeah. community that those owners feel, or those participants might be a better word, in Board Ape. Where do you think the next level of web three that'll develop will be, you know, is it, is it DAOs? Is it, is it some other thing that hasn't been kind of hit the mainstream yet? Oh man. Great question. Um, Well, the reason we're seeing things happen the way they are now is that we're seeing a convergence of some key technologies. 
Um, we're seeing a convergence of things like artificial intelligence, robotics, um, man, what energy storage is happening like crazy right yes. now. Yeah. Right? Blockchain tech. We're seeing cryptocurrencies, like we're seeing, you know, folks in regular everyday in the regular everyday lives talk about cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I, I talked to, you know, um, you know, you know, folks, you know, just coming into college or, or in high school, you talk to them today and you ask them about a digital wallet, they've probably got five already. So it's this convergence of a massive number of things happening. And I do think that we're at a really transformative uh, place. You know, when we've, you know, just looking across the market, I could see easily about 20 different areas where we're seeing transformative technologies happen, approaching tipping points right now. Um, costs are dropping across the board. You know, if you look at the capabilities we have in terms of AI right now, a big part of that used to be hardware costs. That stuff's going down. Oh, so uh, when you say costs, you mean the, the cost, computing power, computing costs. Computing power, yeah. cost storage, right? You know, just think of think about like, you know, what Web2 uh, sort of meant um, in the in this sort of grand scheme. I mean, Web2, what it showed us was that through users using technology, they're going to store it, you know, up in a central place or want to store it in a central place somewhere where they have access to it. But they don't want companies to own it anymore. They want to be at a place now where it's, uh, you know, it's auto- you know, automated, it's distributed, it's consistent, it's transparent, it's private by design, secure by design. You know, these are the kinds of things that users are starting to ask for. And, you know, we've seen... Uh, <laughs> You know, anyone who has ever gotten that notification that, hey, we lost your data in a security breach knows that, you know, companies are no better, you know, suited to protect your data than you are. And in fact, you know, you're probably a pretty good steward of your data. So let's give you the opportunity to do that. And, and as an individual, you're less of a target for for a, exactly. an intent, intentional breach, right, than a, than a credit card company or a bank or something. Exactly. And so... So we are seeing um, some massive things happening. Now, you asked a question about Web3, and and I'm giving you bits and pieces of what I think is happening that will make, that's going to bring Web3 into, you know, ubiquity. Um, You know, one, public blockchains right now are totally transforming every traditional asset class out there. Um, you know, investors once thought that the internet was going to be, you know, a new channel among all the others, radio, TV, newspaper, and then internet. But now the internet is facilitating all channels. You can get radio <laughs> from the internet. You can yeah. get TV from the internet. My, my TV comes over the internet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Everything's coming over the internet. This podcast, right? people are getting over the internet. Yeah. Exactly. And so similarly, right? If you were to look at, um, you know, uh, the different types of assets being issued on public blockchains right now, they're impacting literally every single asset class. Um, So just the same way that the internet turned information into packets online, public blockchains are are likely to turn, you know, assets, uh, pretty much turn all of our assets into transactions on chain. You know, you know, from public blockchains, you know, you can facilitate cryptocurrencies, crypto equities, commodities, uh, you know, NFTs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, which at the heart of that are smart contracts, which is an, an entirely revolutionary concept in and of itself. And the, but the smart contracts thing is in tell me if I'm wrong. 
but in my mind, it's like uh, a hypothetical at this point. The, the idea exists, it can be executed, but it is not always executed the way, you know, it's assumed that, oh, okay, uh, there's an NFT, so there's a smart contract that's automatically baked into it, or there's a Web3 application or a Web3 use, it automatically has smart contracts baked in. That's That's not standard protocol at this point. It could be in the future. Yeah, so definitely uh, anticipate smart contracts to be a pivotal part of... I would say smart contracts are core to... For certain, three, there's three different revolutions I think are happening right now. Um, first one, I would say, is around money. Um, and we've seen that with Bitcoin. Yes. The second one is around finance. And we're seeing that going from traditional finance to decentralized finance. And you're, you're talking about DeFi and all those asset classes that you mentioned that are all kind of being hit at the same time with this opportunity for growth and to get into the hands of more people through uh, the use of Web3 technologies. I think that public blockchains and public blockchains just being one piece of tech part of the Web3 portfolio, but public blockchains have facilitated a number of, of massive revolutions. I think that money and finance are, are two massive ones. Money being, if you just look at uh, how Bitcoin has provided a global decentralized non-state form of money uh, financially, just looking at how DeFi has opened up all kinds of massive Potentials for staking and 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 loans and, and a number of other things. You don't even have to look far to find uh, institutions that are providing all kinds of new financial services coordination. And then on the internet piece, right? Uh, you know, we are now so Web three really is. I mean, if I could summarize it, I would say it's really all about an interoperable, user owned web. Mm. That's really what it's all about. User, you know, interoperable, user owned, not owned by the big conglomerates, but owned by the users. Um, and I think that that's where we really see, you know, if you were to lay it out, one of the pieces uh, that we talk about a lot at the university at ASU is digital trust. And, and that's another aspect of my role is to, is a part of digital trust initiatives. And they're really, it exists on a, on a, on a spectrum. If you think of centralized trust being, on one part of that spectrum and decentralized trust being on the other side of that spectrum, all of it fits on the digital trust. There's different types of, of digital trust, right? So if you were to look at the sort of sort of status quo of centralized trust, right, you're talking about, you know, things being highly regulated, like highly regulated networks, discretionary, uh, closed loop, right, slow to adapt, you know, highly permissioned, central yeah. um, government kind of, right? And then you move over to the other side of that spectrum where you might have decentralized trust. You're talking stuff that's like rules-based, self-sovereign money. Uh, you know, uh, things are predictable. They're resilient to change, machine-readable, optimized for security and decentralization. You're talking about, you know, leveraging uh, things like uh, a different algorithms to really sort of prove consensus. Uh, that's one of the moats that that blockchain had. Like if you yeah. think about business moats, one of the moats that it has is, uh, hey, look, we can come to consensus without people even needing to know each other and personally trust each other. Massive. 
Yeah. And that could be anything from a huge thing like a DAO to small decisions that just need to be made as a collective over Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Timothy, I am not a Web3 uh, evangelist. I'm not out there buying NFTs and preaching it. Tell what what is the thing that you tell people who are skeptical? I'm not skeptical, but I'm not totally sold either. Um, I see the potential of it to be something in the future, but I don't know quite what. What is it that you tell people that gets the most excited to to get them from skepticism to somewhere closer to buying in? Well, I think as it relates to Web three. Um, there's a number of things, you know, the first thing I think is it depends on how, how much they're aware of, um, how much they're aware of digital ownership. That's, that's where I would start. Where I would start is, you know, the, it, it, it hasn't been until now that we've had a way to represent ownership in the digital world. Um, and digital ownership is something that is going to hyper accelerate the transition of activities and, you know, the, the, our daily lives from the physical world to the digital world. Um, now that we actually have a way of, because, I mean, there's tons of virtual ecosystems out there now that are thriving, right? And, and if you look at the human participants there, you know, and, and this is, you know, where people are able to own human participation, where people are able to own those assets as opposed to renting them or, you know, or sort of just paying to use them. That's hugely different. You know, having a, and I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not in the metaverse. I mean, I haven't, uh, I, I mean, I've gone into the metaverse and I have an Oculus and all that, but but uh, but just saying, using it as an example, if if there's you know ten years from now someone is in the metaverse, and uh, you know I've actually seen some really cool ASU uh, 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 Adi, uh, Adidas sneakers that look really cool. You know, imagine someone being able to actually own that asset in the digital world. We've never had that before. Now, so you know, so if you look at you know traditional. In traditional Web two business models, you know the end user typically faces all kinds of restrictions on their products and services. Right? They can't, you know, export you know in game assets. They can't use them from one game to another. Uh, you know, you can't, uh, uh, you know, you know, you can't move other things that you you know awards and achievements that you've accumulated in one game to another game or from yeah, one environment to another environment. Different different you know, boundaries. There, right, and, and sort of in contrast, if you look at public and decentralized blockchain environments, they allow users to store and move their assets in a legitimate way across environments, and even maybe even potentially sell them in the secondary market. That's huge. Um, so just even that level of digital ownership is massive. NFTs have just been a, a one of the first representations of that. Uh, of that digital ownership because we've been showing people owning art. Um, that's really where, you know, we're really seeing a massive, you know, uh, amount of value there. The other thing too is if you were to take the public data that's out there and then you take the uh, assets 
that are owned by individuals, um, you know, and, and of course, through selective disclosure, I mean, individuals are, can't be forced to, you know, reveal their assets, but let's just say they selectively disclose their assets. Um, you can then have robust artificial intelligence that lives in the Web3 cloud that's actually then able to, uh, to do collective intelligence. Right. And so that's really where the power of Web3 comes in. It's this convergence of these technologies. Wow. Okay. That was a compelling case. <laughs> you moved me. You moved me closer to buying in. I mean, just seeing the potential awesome. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Timothy, where can people uh, find you online? Hey, you know, um, you can find me online uh, um, on Instagram or Twitter at How Hackers Think. You can also find me at Arizona State University. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, please uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or curiosities on these topics. And uh, yeah, thank you, Adam. This was really wonderful. Great conversation. Right. I, I hope to come back. Yeah, I thank you for humoring my dumb questions. That was good. Not at all, man. You're, you're asking some wonderful questions. Uh, something that really uh, had to make me think. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks again, Adam. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Pierno. If you like what you've heard, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Actually, I have no idea if that helps or if it's ever done anybody any good. If you really want to help the show and you like what you've heard, Share it with someone else you think will dig it. That's the best way to help the show and keep the conversation growing. If you have an idea, a question, or want to push back, go to thatsnotaninsight.com where you can send me a message or leave me a voicemail that will be added to future shows. Music for the strategy inside everything is by Saw Square Noise. For more information on me, you can go to adampiero.com to learn about my books, my speaking, and my consulting practice. Thanks for listening.